Hey, good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I am Felicia King. And today with me is special guest Joe Brunsman of The Bruns Group. He's an expert on tech E&O and cyber insurance and just a handy guy to have around. And he's got a fantastic YouTube channel you should definitely check out. Go to YouTube and look up Joseph Brunsman. And I've got the links here on the podcast page for you to reference. His website is thebrunsgroup.com. So we're going to be talking about tech E&O and cyber insurance today, uh, cost increases potentially, what you should be looking out for the, in your tech E&O policy, exclusions and how to interpret that, how far you should go and not go. Uh, what is the definition of a breach and, you know, just heck, wherever else the fancy takes us. So um, let's start off with maybe a, a brief starter on uh, your interpretation on tech e and cyber. And I know you've spoken about this very eloquently in the past uh, with regards to why you think they should both be with the same insurance carrier. Yeah, so, you know, tech e and cyber the easiest way to think about it is that cyber insurance, as we think about it, actually grew out of tech E&O insurance. And so, you know, kind of the easiest way to think about this, and then I'll explain why, is that, you know, an MSP or software provider, et cetera, they should have a tech E&O policy, right? Their clients should have a cyber policy. Now, the kind of the deeper underlying reason there is they cover different things. So when it comes to like internal cyber coverages, if we're looking at coverage for data breaches, business email compromise, internal ransomware events, that kind of thing, that could actually be on both a tech, you know, and a cyber policy. The difference is what types of third party claims they're going to cover. So who's a third party? Clients, regulators, vendors, right? Somebody wants money from your business after a cyber event. Now, the difference is the third party coverage. So like tech E&O policy goes, hey, we're going to cover you for claims that arise as a result of the rendering or failure to render professional services, right? So that could be everything from, hey, I paid you to initiate backups. You never clicked the switch. Turns out we didn't have backups. Or, hey, you misconfigured a firewall. So because of that, we got hit with ransomware. So now we're going to sue you for a bunch of money, right? Those types of claims are tech E&O claims. Now, cyber claims would be a cyber insurance claim. Imagine an MSP has an accounting firm as a client, right? Now, the accounting firm's data that has all their clients, socials, et cetera, let's say that gets stolen in a data breach, right? Then all of their clients band together into a class action claim saying like, hey, accounting firm, you were negligent, right? So now we want a bunch of money from you. Uh, same thing had happened where... Uh, there's a case that just came out, right? Chicago accounting firm. They got hit with a class action claim and they have uh, HHS OCR. So the HIPAA regulator coming after them as well. So that's probably yet another million dollars that's going to go out the door. So kind of an easy way to break it down in a scenario would be, let's say you have an MSP, you have their client, right? Let's say just for the sake of argument, the MSP screws something up, right? and all the data of their client gets stolen and put out to the world, right? Well, the immediate cost, because the client is the data owner, the MSP or AWS or whoever, they may just be considered the data holder, right? So the immediate cost of that cyber event, it's going to be, hey, 
the client has to pay for the attorney, the forensics, the breach notification, the credit monitoring, et cetera, then they can always try and turn around and sue the MSP's techie and O policy. Like a clawback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I've watched all of your videos and uh, this little explanation that you just gave here, I think uh, answered uh, another interesting question I had because there was a gentleman a couple days ago that was on the TMTQ. Um, you know, he fancies himself to be a, a Mr. Fancy Pants, been in business for 30 years and stuff. And he was espousing that he didn't think he needed to have an E&O policy uh, because none of his customers had ever demanded that he have an E&O policy. <laughs> and there was never a contract that he's ever had <laughs> that required him to have an E&O policy. <laughs> You know, and I was just thinking to myself, Ooh. this is a gentleman who clearly has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and, and but, you know, mm. I was not I was not Joe Brunsman, you know, so I was not going to be typing away and telling him what a clown he was. You know? And so what I heard you just say was that um, if I was to, like, break it down into stupid, simple basics here. The cyber policy is for the client or, you know, for for the person who has the data who is the data owner to recover from their immediate issue. Then once the um, source of the problem is identified, then the lawyers will go around and try to figure out who is at fault. And then if they believe that a service provider was at fault, that is when the claim on the E&O is, is made. Yeah, yeah, precisely. See, there you go. Therefore, you need an you know, you know policy. <laughs> but you have to be careful. Make sure you get a tech ENO policy because I'll get pedantic here for a second. So one of the problems I see with MSPs is they're getting the wrong type of ENO policy, right? So there are many, many different types of ENO policies. Now, what's like the 80-20 of what an MSP should be looking for, right? So when they go to buy an ENO policy, we say ENO, there's miscellaneous ENO, there's tech ENO, there's something called professional liability, which is roughly synonymous, right? It, there's a million different terms. So like when an MSP is looking at all these possible insurance options, they're like, how do you even begin to deal with this? Now, spoiler alert, that is half of my next book um, I'm writing a book on insurance for MSPs. And your first book was rather lengthy, I might add. <laughs> oh, that was that was book number four. Oh, actually. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so this is this is book number five. Um, okay. And I was a robotics major, not an English major. So uh, AI is a wonderful copy editor, I will say, when it comes to writing things. Um, so, you know, if if I was an MSP and I you know I went to me right, and I'm like hey, like what's that, you know, 80-20, what's like the biggest thing I can do, like the one, the one thing I can look at that's going to make the biggest difference for me. And what I would say is look at the definition of technology services. Like that is going to be the biggest bang for the buck. Now, what does an MSP need to look for there? Or let me take a step back. Why is that important? you render or allegedly fail to render some type of technology service. 
client then alleges a wrongful act has occurred, that could be, hey, I couldn't restore this data. I had a business email compromise, a ransomware event, data breach, whatever. Because of that, they bring a claim, right? So we kind of just follow the bouncing ball. Now, the definition of a claim, it varies slightly between policies, pretty well ironed out over like the last 50 something years. Okay. The definition of a wrongful act, once again, it's pretty much been like the same thing for 40 something years, right? So you got to hone in on that first part definition of technology services. Everything past that point, it doesn't matter how great the policy is. It doesn't matter how many whiz bang features it has. None of that matters if we don't get the definition of technology services right. So somewhat counterintuitively, if possible, you want to avoid like a big laundry list of stuff. Right. That's the uh, named peril policy. Precisely. Right. Yeah. You have been watching my videos. So oh, I have been. <laughs> so, so you would think you're like, Hey, I want the longest possible list of stuff they're going to cover me for. No, you want right? an well, all that, risks policy. Yeah. If possible, you want an all risk policy. Now those are increasingly becoming much harder to come by, but kind of the, the gist of it is, Hey, if you're rendering a service, it's not on that list right? Or is not encapsulated within that definition or plaintiff alleges that you did something not within that definition. You could have a really hard time getting coverage on the back end, right? So when you have just a list, it's going to say something akin to technology services means big giant list, right? What does that mean more on the legal side of like when a claim happens, right? Not only do you have to demonstrate a loss occurred, but now you have to prove to the insurance company that what you did that led to that loss falls within that definition. Okay. So, so that's, you know, anytime you could avoid a question mark in insurance, that's always a good idea. So if possible, what are you looking for? A very innocuous sounding term. It's including, but not limited to right now. What does that mean? Well, in contract law and insurance law synonymous here, Yep. There's a term called contra preferentum. And what that means is a fancy pants lawyer insurance term from Latin that means ambiguities held against the draftsman. And that makes sense, right? Because, hey, yep. we're just business owners. This big, long, you know, big giant insurance company, they write it. It's like, take it or leave it. And so when an insurance company puts that in there, including not limited to, what they're saying is to me, to you, to everybody listening now, what they're saying is, hey, judge, jury, claims guy at the insurance company, et cetera, et cetera. We can't possibly list everything we're going to want to cover here. So unless we A, specifically exclude it, or B, it's just so far outside the realm of what a technology service is, right? Reasonably, we're going to cover that. Now, the legal kind of back into that is when a claim occurs, you just go to the insurance company, you're like, hey, we have a loss right? There's this loss. We have a claim. Here you go. <coughs> then the legal onus is on the insurance company, right? To try and prove that what you did wasn't covered under that definition. Now it's so broad that to do that, you either have to be way out to lunch doing something crazy or the insurance company risks what's called a bad faith claim. And I will just say, 
if an MSP was successful in a bad faith claim against their insurance company, like they're probably just going to retire. Like those are buku bucks. Judges yeah. and juries don't like insurance companies. <clears throat> so that's like the one thing I would say, focus on that, like hyper-focus on that. You got these 60 page, whatever policies, look for that definition, make sure that actually meets what you're doing. Well, I mean, the other the other side of that equation that you talked about was something that I rant about incessantly, <laughs> which is prove it. You know, you you're charging a client for a service, figure out a way to generate the automated reports that prove that um, that they're getting that service and that the outcome is satisfactory. Mm -hmm. And you really should be producing those reports in a way that no human has to uh, be involved in the generation of those reports. And that way, nobody can make the allegation that you tampered with the reports. And that really rides very tightly with CMMC requirements and the CIS controls where that whole aspect, you know, the fourth pillar of CIS that says the report to the business component. Well, if you're taking all of those reports using automation and putting them into a repository where the business can review and you have listed out in your client responsibilities that you expect them to review and you've gone over it enough with them to where you reasonably expect them to review, um, then that is good enough to satisfy report to the business because you're literally giving them the reports. And then the thing I like about that is in the context of if there's ever a dispute, like the insurance company wants to know, were you doing what you said you did? There's the proof and you've got your last year worth of reports and it demonstrates a pattern of due care and due diligence. And, you know, so, um, you know, so you're talking about analyze, yeah. analyze the coverage that you have, but also you talked about the proof aspect because that's, that's the first thing they noodle in on, right? Which is, is, is what you did. Um, did you do it? And is it the way that you did it in the definition of, the things that they have covered. Yeah, I mean, I would just add that I, I did a video recently and I brought up something called a loss ratio. Now, what's a loss ratio in insurance? It's effectively like, hey, how much are they paying out versus how much are they bringing in? Right now, for an insurance company, what are they looking for? 40 to 60% loss ratio. They're not charging too much, they're not charging too little, but they have overhead, right? Rent, utilities, uh, workers comp, et cetera, et cetera. Anything. Ab so when you get above 40%, it's like, okay, insurance companies start getting a little nervous, right? Cause they want to keep a profit. They want to be, you know, kind of in a good era. Anything above 60%, if you're at a 60% loss ratio to stay profitable as an insurance company, like you, you are driving a slave ship. I mean, it is like bare bones. You are working people into the grave at a 60% loss ratio. I went back and I looked at some of the loss ratios published for 2020 and 2021. Some of these cyber insurance companies, oh my God, they had like 130% loss ratios. I mean, just astronomical. I will say that it was something probably in the neighborhood of 85% of the top 20 carriers by the amount of premium they're writing. 
Now, now is, your, is probably, that loss ratio data, though, is that strictly to cyber and ENO, or did that include things like, um, you know, premature death or, you, you know, what I'm saying like, what exactly were those just losses? Just cyber. Okay, okay. It was just cyber insurance. And so <clears throat> that really just points to, obviously, cyber premiums are going up, right? Half of a tech ENO policy is a cyber premium. So that's kind of just part of it. Um, we're seeing right increasing requirements finally from the cyber insurance industry, right? So that's kind of a, a double-edged sword for MSPs. But also what that means is, what that means is these guys are losing a ton of money, right? And the day is quickly approaching where they're gonna say, you know, we just paid out this loss. Why don't we start looking at the MSP here, right? If it's a sizable loss, if we're looking at you know, seven figures, et cetera, right? Like the days are coming soon when a cyber insurance company is going to say, hey, you know, we're just going to take the rights of our insured and we're going to see if we can recoup some of that money from their, their MSP's tech ENO policy. So the sooner I think that MSPs can do what you're talking about, right? Which is like that proactive approach. Like the more proactive you can get as an MSP, and I understand it's a phenomenal pain. It's just, but yet another thing we have to do as business owners Actually, but it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, okay. I, it's really, it's not that bad. And I think that it's, I think it's in the MSP's best interest to have those sorts of systems mm -hmm. in place with doing that documentation because it protects them. I mean, and every, mm -hmm. you know, you look at NIST CSF, CMMC needs it, CIS, I mean, just common sense <laughs> says you, you should have the ability to prove mm -hmm. that you're doing what you say you're doing. Um, you know, w one of the other things you were talking about there that really uh, brought an interesting question in my mind, you know, you were talking about mm -hmm. loss ratio and how these insurance companies have had such significant losses. My perception is that they have um, given policies basically based upon whether or not somebody had a pulse. And still to this day, yep. I see them, I see brokers allowing organizations to be grossly underinsured and you know or to not have it so um what what do you i mean like i there's large organizations that i'm dealing with and they've got five hundred thousand dollars worth of um cyber coverage and there's you know if i look at just strictly the the pii related records that they have and you know, let's just say you've got a value of a dollar per record. Well, that's $500,000 just for the value of the PII records that they've got. So, you know, I mean, in, in a lot of these cases, they're not taking the whole cyber insurance thing seriously. Uh, and as a result, they don't have um, appropriate coverage. And I feel like in a lot of cases, they're just getting very, very poor advice from brokers who you know mm -hmm. don't know you know they they don't they don't know and they're like not asking these questions about you know how many records of what type do you have and how much would it cost to replace your infrastructure and what is your cybersecurity posture i mean some of these applications that i see uh, it's pretty clear to me that it's just do you have a pulse and we're going to give you a policy right so so the question that I have here based upon that context, because I really feel like 
a lot of these orgs are just not getting good advice from their brokers. How can they think about this problem? So mm-hmm. if, if you're sitting down with a business owner who's not technical, right? They're, they're just a, mm-hmm. you know, they're a business owner and um, they have an MSP and they're not getting good advice from the broker. How should they think about this problem in terms of how much coverage should they have in both their own E&O business, let's say it's an accounting firm, uh, and mm-hmm. their own cyber policy, right? How do they figure out what that amount of coverage is that they have? Because I think if they could get to that correct number and they went to the broker and said, hey, I want $2 million in coverage. Well, then the broker is mm-hmm. going to get a very different application back from the carriers, right? As opposed sure. to like, oh, you only want, you know, 500,000 in coverage, which is, do mm-hmm. you have a pulse? Yeah. So there's kind of a bunch that goes into this. The short answer is I actually just have a video on my YouTube channel. I don't make any money off my YouTube channel, but it's, you know, uh, it's, I forget the title of it, but it, it, it just gets into limits, right? Like how much cyber insurance do I need or something to that effect? Um, and I actually just go through, I'm like, hey, here are the variables that I think about having done this for, God, eight years now. Um, you know, I mean, it's way too obsessed about this topic. Like here are all the variables that I start thinking about that I go to my own clients with when it comes to trying to figure out how much cyber insurance you need. Now, that's a difficult question because one, from the broker side, you know, most brokers, I'll just say this, like the general rule across most of the states is there's no legal obligation that they understand what they're selling, that they even read what they're selling, that they provide any inputs or alternatives. Now, there's kind of some... I'll say potentially rational reasons for why those laws exist, right? Or why those common law standards exist. But, you know, it really should be, you know, we're not just here to shuffle papers, right? We should be adding value somewhere. The problem is most people that get into the insurance industry, like I'm a former IT, right? So this is like, man, it's nerd heaven for me. Sometimes I can't even believe I get paid to do this stuff because I'm like, oh, I just think it's super cool. Right. I did it long before there was any money in it. I just thought it was really interesting. So unfortunately for business owners, they have to sit down and just get rational and go, listen, the average IQ of an insurance broker is 104. They have no technology background. They don't understand what they're selling. And so, you know, 99% of it is really just on the business owner to ask to get the right things right? Like they need to finally sit down and go, okay, what are we looking for? The easiest way to do that, the biggest problem I see is that the average business just goes, hey, we need cyber insurance. And then like one guy goes out and they're like, hey, Joe, I need cyber insurance. You know, and I'm like, for what? Like what? I mean, obviously you want cyber insurance, but what specifically are we trying to insure here? Right? Because it just depends on the business. Right. So when you have one guy that's like, hey, I have to go get cyber insurance. Okay, maybe that's the CFO. Well, what's his like, oh my God, I'm definitely getting fired moment. He transferred money somewhere it's not supposed to go. So that's what he's going to care about. Whereas maybe like the CIO or the CTO, whoever, maybe they have a bunch of stuff on prem, bunch of hardware workstations. They're like, dude, if we get hit with a bricking event, 
Like we're looking at millions in losses, right? And the CEO, he's got a different like, oh my God, I'm definitely getting fired idea where it's, hey, if we get hit and a bunch of our clients leave or our biggest clients leave, that's a huge reputational hit. Can we get insurance for that? So kind of step one is stop relying on the insurance broker, unfortunately. And it's come together. You don't have to know anything about cyber insurance. Just say, hey, fellow decision makers in the business, what are you worried about, right? When I can get that information, now I can translate that into insurance nerd talk, right? And I can say, okay, well, it's a cyclical process, right? I go, okay, this is what you're worried about. Let's see what's available in the market, right? Given the controls, application, revenue, industry, et cetera. Then it's got to come back and it's got to go, okay, hey, one contact guy I'm working with. Here are your options right now. Every cyber policy is different. They have different terms. So you got to start narrowing that down. And it very well could be, hey, your best option for you, maybe it's only $100,000 in coverage for a bricking event. So you have to go back to the IT folks and say, hey, listen, this is the most we're going to get in the market for this thing that you're really worried about. So the business internally now has to have a discussion and say, okay, this is the risk. This is the insurance. What controls can we implement to bridge that gap? Right. And then with all that done, I mean, the limits, it's pretty straightforward at that point, right? I mean, there's limits, there's sublimits, and then, you know, exclusions and carbacks and kind of all that stuff, but that's all detail stuff, you know, kind of at the end of the process where it's, I think businesses first need to figure out what are we even worried about? What are we trying to insure for? Is that even possible? And if so, at what amount? Circling back to, you know, maybe we can't insure for all this stuff or we can't insure to the level we want. So we have to figure out a different way to mitigate that threat. And uh, I will say at the end of the day, this is the only time I'm ever going to say this for any line of insurance. You probably want more than you think you need when all is said and done, because there's so much, there's so many variables that can go into an event that, for example, what's the cost of a ransomware event? Nobody has any, the nobody has any idea. There are no statistically viable sample sets out there where I can say, Hey, you business, you know, the, what's the, uh, the highest likelihood of this ransomware, right? What are the odds it's a million or what are the odds it's 10 million or whatever? nobody has any idea. So, you know, we start looking at, you know, third party issues and class action claims that's ramping up, regulatory actions ramping up. Just get a little more than you think you need. So, you know, I, I want to bounce off of something you said there. The way that I have thought about insurance for a very long time is the question of poo-poo hits a fan and what is the cost of that recovery? What do I have control over? And if mm -hmm. I have control over it, right? If, if there's, if I can control the, that cost and I can self insure for that, then I would actually prefer to self insure for that issue compared to a situation where I need to go and try and negotiate 
with an insurance company to assist mm-hmm. or to provide reimbursement or whatnot. So there are, I think that's one of the decisions that process that businesses need to go, go through is say, you know, look, we have obligations to other people like our customers. So for the obligations to our customers, we need to be thinking about the scope of our relationship with those customers and what the potential financial blowback is um, with regards to that. And, you know, how much is that? Mm-hmm. Now, in the context of things that you have more control over, like example, uh, that's just poo-poo happens to you. You know, your email is down, your PC got ransomware. Um, maybe you're not concerned about data exfiltration because all your data has got Azure information protection on it, you know, and it's encrypted. And when it mm-hmm. when the bad guys have it, they can't open it anyways. And you're like, I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I talked to um, Spencer Pollock and Spencer said to me and when I interviewed him, he said, or I asked him how many of the breaches that he had been involved with in the prior 12 months would have been non-reportable had the data been encrypted. And he said 90%. So I said, well, clearly yeah. the answer is to encrypt the stupid data, right? Okay. So so where I'm going with this is I think there's a whole scope of poo-poo that can happen to an organization that the organization could actually self-insure for. And, and if a business would go through that decision-making process, like... Um, you know, in a lot of cases, the insurance will not reimburse you to correct the deficiencies in the infrastructure mm-hmm. um, as part of the recovery, right? Your IT team is sitting over here and saying, hey, we're ready to recover, but we also know how the incident occurred. We know, you know, what was the genesis of the incident? So what we want to do is we want to not put things back the way they were we want to take this time and energy and effort and actually do it a better way this time. Notice I didn't say the right way because that's interpretive, but a better way. And then we Mm -hmm. will restore the business functionality with the better way. Well, now you've got the insurance company over here saying, no, 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 no. We're only going to pay for you to restore it back to the way that it was. Okay. We're not going to pay for the improvements okay because that's not covered under the policy so i think there's a whole suite of business risk decisions that could very productively come out of proactive uh interactions between business risk decision makers and it going through things like an incident response plan going through tabletop exercises going through incident playbooks in a tabletop and saying, okay, look, this poo-poo happened. Is this Mm poo-poo something that we can self-insure for? Because hell, I just as soon as have $400,000 sitting in a bank account, you know, waiting, Mm -hmm. you know, on the side, poo-poo happens. And you know what? If poo-poo never happens, fine. I still got the money, right? You know, but if it's something Mm -hmm. that was, it was stuff that was only going to affect us, and we could create a controlled space around that risk management and we could do the recovery and not have to be concerned about trying to negotiate and waste time with an insurance company 
um, because we could self-insure for it because we had looked at, is this only going to impact mm -hmm. us? Not reputational risk necessarily, um, not risking customer data. You kind of see where I'm going with this. Is I, and I think that that's really a process that's coming out of this, this proactive risk business decision-making process that really can only come if you're going to do some tabletop exercises. And, you know, bluntly, business decision-makers tend to not make time for any of that. They still think that information security is IT's problem, and it's not. It's their problem. If you're the business owner, information security is your problem. Yeah, so it's, you know, the difficulty I see there is, you know, we could probably do something like that for our business, right? Because we have enough knowledge. I think for the average business owner, that that exercise or that idea is probably so overwhelming, right? Like there's so many, at least in their eyes, like unknown or unknowable unknowns, right? That, you know, unless it's probably a very large organization, you know, if we're talking about like just average client of an MSP, like a, some SMB somewhere, you know, wh what I will say is I'm a huge proponent of defense in depth over cyber insurance, right? right. So I, I think that people have put way too much stock right. into this idea that cyber insurance is going to save the world. And right. it's like, no, man, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a myriad of ways that can go sideways. And what I tell people is really kind of two things. Like one, if you're just a cyber insurance client of mine, it's you only want to talk to me once a year when I'm taking your money. Like that's a good day for you. If we got to talk twice in a year, you're having a really bad day and you're about to have a really bad month, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's, the more you can do now, right, reasonably, like go, for, like, for the MSPs out there, what I would tell them is, go to your clients, right? They're worried about this and say, hey, here's the biggest bang for the buck that we're looking at, right? Just rank order it, right? We were kind of reviewing right. some of that stuff earlier today. Right. Right, where it's, hey, you know, fundamental controls are fundamental controls and they're going to be fundamental till the robots take all our jobs, right? So... You know, and the, and then exterminate us. Don't forget the, and then we get exterminated part. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know if you see, right. I'll bring it out here right after this. I have a, uh, a Terminator goblet <laughs> that I got <laughs> just cause it was super dork and I thought it was awesome. Um, but you know, it's like, Hey, MSPs, like go to that business owner and just take off the IT guy hat for a sec. Yeah. Right. What I tell people is if you can draw a picture Right. If you could stand in front of a group and just on a whiteboard, right, draw defense in depth, right, write the onion out or draw it out, right, and be like, here's where this piece goes. And here's the 30,000 foot view of what that thing does. This is why it's important for you. Here's how much it's going to cost. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that pays much bigger dividends. And I will say, right. plans of implementation are so highly underutilized. Um, I won't say it's criminal because, you know, we're talking about torts here, but I was recently at a conference and I was talking to an attorney who actually does plaintiff's litigation stuff, 
right? It's like he'd be the guy that comes after the MSPs after the fact. He goes after businesses after the fact. Uh, obviously making a very good living at the moment. <clears throat> and I was like, hey, man, like what's the, what's the one thing that just like sinks the ship, right? Where in discovery, you get this piece of paper and you're like, I got him, right? And he goes, oh, easy. He goes, invariably, there's an internal communication. There's an email where the IT director goes to the CEO and says, hey, we should do X, Y, Z. And the CEO said, we don't have money for that. This guy's an idiot. We're definitely going to get hit, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then the, and then the lawyer is like, exhibit A, you knew you were supposed to do this. You knew it was going to result in something bad happening if you didn't do it. And I was like, all right, well, what's, what's the thing that would really be of value to a company, right? That would kind of circumvent that whole process. And he goes, oh, easy, man. Plan of implementation. Right. And I'm like, tell me more. And he goes, you know, no business has unlimited money. No business has, you know, unlimited time. No business is perfectly secure. There's always some additional control, right? That we could hammer on that they didn't have that would have hypothetically mitigated that threat. So you sit down, you get the, you know, in this case would be the MSP. You sit down with the business owner, their CFO, et cetera, et cetera. And you say, all right, guys, here's what's going on. We need to work on a plan to to better your security here, right? So you don't have unlimited money. I totally get it. I'm also a business owner. So let's look at, hey, what's the biggest bang for the buck? When can we start implementing this? Let's have, just have a, a roadmap, a plan of implementation. We're all going to sign off on it. You know, it's going to be, you know, great things for you. When a claim pops up, you can say, hey, we were perfect. We were trying. We were getting there, right? Nobody's perfect. And on the same token, we can kind of start planning out, all right, what is the cost going to be plus whatever in six months, yeah. in nine months, in 12 months? Yeah. And I will just say, that's the easy way to do it. That sounds like a pain. Um, no, 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 no. Actually, that, that's not a pain at all. And, and in fact, um, that that you just articulated is the approach that I've been using with clients for the last 20 years. Because that that you just articulated mm -hmm. is the CISO approach. The, the challenge that I see that exists in the SMB space, and, and actually even in a larger business space, is a complete lack in a lot of organizations, not all of them, but in a lot of organizations, the complete lack of willingness at the executive management level to come to the table to entertain such a discussion. So what you have sure. articulated here is um, I think gonna help me and other MSPs and certainly other CISOs, I hope, to be able to articulate another value proposition reason why the executive management team does need to not only fund the creation of a roadmap, mm -hmm fund the creation of an implementation plan, even if they don't get to all of the implementations of the controls, they have to start with a roadmap. So actually I'll take a step back. They need to start with an assessment and then a roadmap yeah. and then an implementation plan. And, and the whole implementation plan piece really backs something that I harp on all the time, which is I don't want people to do malinvestment. You know, would you spend 
$40,000 on a server for which no one has ever seen, shown you the engineering plan for the server or the implementation plan for the server or a project plan or anything like that. No, that's a little effing crazy. Okay, let's just, you know, like I'm not going to write a $40,000 check for a server for which nobody shows me the stinking plan. So mm-hmm. here's here's the rub, though. A lot of clients seem to think that we should do all of this engineering and project plan and stuff for free. Like you see this in the RFP process all the time, you know, like, Oh, give us a proposal for whatever. It's like, no, I'm not going to do 40 hours of engineering and architecture um, and and project Mm -hmm. planning for you for free. No, you know, (laughs) take a hike. Right. So part of this too, is the business decision makers have to change their paradigm. You know, if they're going to pay to have cons- a, a construction of a building, they hire the architect. They then hire like a construction manager to come up with a project plan. What are they doing? They're creating a roadmap. They're creating a budget. Yeah. Oh, this is how much we think. So it's where are we at now? Where do we need to be? What's the roadmap to get there? And when do we think we're going to get there? And how much is this beast going to cost, right? I just to mm-hmm. me, it's just astonishing where we see this being so commonly understood and accepted in so many other fields like, you know, building a home, building a building. But then um, they don't apply those rules to information technology in their business. Well, let me give you a tool. Here, here's like a little life hack that I have used okay. uh, that I think MSPs could use as well. I've never said this in any of my videos before. Ooh, awesome. I got new content. <laughs> It's new content. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that the average business owner is obviously, let's say they're an accounting firm, right? Because uh, that, that's always an easy example. They're an accounting firm. How much do any of us really know about taxes? You know, the, the tax code is 74,000 pages. Yeah. So I think what would be, what's worked for me in the past and what I think would be a good practice for MSPs out there when you go into that business and you're you're going to have this you know very detailed technical discussion right start that off by saying something to the effect of you know hey obviously you're really good at what you do you've built this business like can i ask you just some obviously stupid questions to you of just kind of things i want to know right start learning about their business it's going to help you as an msp provide services but I think psychologically what it's doing is it's breaking down that barrier, right? right? Where you're like, okay, in this little room amongst these people, it's okay to be dumb, right? Like if you're the MSP, you are obviously the subject matter expert on this thing. You are, you have no idea all the intricacies of the tax code, right? So fluff their feathers a little bit, right? And be like, you know, start asking them questions and just be like, man, that, that sounds really complicated. I don't think I could ever do that, right? Probably an MSP would never want to be nor could be an accountant. I mean, maybe they could, right? But it's kind of two different mindsets, um, right? And then transition that and go, okay, I asked you a bunch of stupid questions. Thank you for humoring me, right? And that guy's going to go like, oh, no, they weren't dumb. You know, I do this stuff every day, like those common questions, whatever, right? They're going to play it off. And then you go, okay. Now we're going to go through this. Can we just do the same thing in reverse? Right? Like, there's no stupid questions here. This is what I do. That's what you do. So as I'm going through this, 
right? I'm going to draw pictures, try and help you out, like kind of show you a visual representation of what's going on. And if you don't understand something like, you know, how, I, you know, I don't know about, you know, there's specific tax code for railroads. Like, I don't know about that, but you do. Right. So if I start saying something and you don't get it, just tell me, right. And we'll, we'll break it down because it's your money. And I've used that tactic before, right. To kind of really get the other business owner to go, they feel comfortable, right. Where they're like, you know, it's not that I'm dumb. It's just a different area of expertise. You know, like I wouldn't pretend to know anything about tennis because I don't play tennis. It doesn't mean I'm dumb. It just means I don't play tennis. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's a tactic hopefully someone could use out there. Um, I'm going to noodle on that for a, a, a while. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. I I also really liked the piece that you talked about how, you know, the, the prior statement was around you, you were articulating the defensibility of the approach. We have this plan mm -hmm. of implementation. No business has unlimited resources. Nobody's perfectly secure. This is what we were doing about it, right? Um, we sure. were not engaging in willful negligence by knowing that we had problems and choosing to do nothing about it. No, actually, the executive management team was involved. They were taking it seriously. They had, you know, hired these people and then they had regular meetings with them and uh, they were tracking progress mm -hmm. and, and engaging in accountability, you know, you know, all, all of these things. Uh, and um, the challenge there, I think, again, is the money, the money. Oh, it's sure. Actually, I don't think it's hard for the executive management team to actually make the time to have the meetings, which they need to do. It's a choice. And oh, sure. they, they need to prioritize that. Their primary objection all the time is what they don't understand, what they didn't ask for, <laughs> that they don't want, they're not going to fund, mm -hmm. right? They're just not going to fund it. And so the the big piece here that, that I've seen a lot of is working at how does it help them stay in business? How does it help them be prepared to go get more customers, to be prepared for more contracts? The next time they've got a prospect that has uh, a requirement on them, like, oh, you need to be SOC 2 certified, or um, you need to prove to us you have an incident response plan. Um, you need to prove to us that you have a um, information security program. You know, wh whatever the heck that mm -hmm. is, you don't want that prospect coming to you and saying, well, you know, we can't do business with you unless you, you can prove to us you have these things in place. And then in the background, you're like, scramble, 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 because you're not going to just pull that out of your butt. You know, I mean, it takes yeah, some I mean, time. Yeah. So like, you know, what we were talking about before roadmap, plan of implementation, like that's the easy way. In my world, there's also the hard way. And I'll explain that here in a second. Okay. It's, okay. One way or another, those controls will be implemented. It may be this year, it may be two years from now, but it's either going to A, be a cyber insurance requirement, or B, read any breach notification letter, and they all effectively say the same thing. Magically, we have found more money, we're investing more in our cybersecurity defenses. 
right? <laughs> Every single one of them. It's always at the, it's the last paragraph. Go look up any of them. They all say the same exact thing, right? Why? Because now they're scrambling and their attorney's going, yo, we have to, we have to show here that we're taking this seriously because if we don't do anything, right? right? So if it's a cyber insurance requirement, if it's post-breach, now you just start compressing the timeline and it's way more painful. And I will say, yeah. as far as yeah. CEOs, uh, I have a whole video on what's called the Drizzly case. Oh, yeah. And that was a good video. Know, the Drizzly case. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So for those people listening here, the gist of it is just the following. It, the FTC chairwoman came out, Chairwoman Nikon, and she goes, the days of CEOs bouncing between companies right after a cyber event with no repercussions is over. Right. So they hit the CEO first time ever with a personal 10 year consent order. All right. Which means there's a whole laundry list of cybersecurity controls. The FTC follows him around for the next decade, which means that guy. Unemployable. Yeah. Unemployable. You're entirely too much risk to have that person as an employee. Yeah, it is. It is. Right. And I think that uh, somewhat shameless plug here, like I'll say, hey, MSPs, go get that video. Make sure you understand that. Go in. Right. Put that in your bat belt uh, if it comes up as as necessary. Right. And I would also say, you know, I guess another shameless plug, you can download my my last book on uh, cyber insurance and cybersecurity law for free because a lot of what MSPs actually recommend could just be a legal requirement, right? And generally I'll say from business owners, there's a difference between good idea and legal requirement. And generally if it's a legal requirement, they're like, okay, how are we gonna make this happen, right? If it's just a good idea, then it's up for interpretation, right? So it's called damage control, cyber insurance and compliance. Yeah, yeah. Just, just look through the table of contents, right? And say, okay, what industry is this guy in? And if you go in, we'll use an accounting firm again, right? You go into an accounting firm and you're like, hey, you should be doing X, Y, Z controls, right? That accounting firm is going to go, man, you know what? Like every single one of my employees just asked for a 15% raise to keep up with inflation. Like we don't have time for that, right? Don't have resources, don't have time. You go in there and you say, hey, uh, how are you guys dealing with the new FTC safeguards rule requirements? They're coming out and they're going to go, huh? And you go, what about IRS publication 4557 that has this laid out beforehand? So not only are you going to look like a subject matter expert, right? I mean, I guess you, for all intents and purposes, you are a subject matter expert there. You look hyper keyed into their industry. So it's comfort, but then it's adding a little more oomph behind these controls that all of us realize, yeah, this stuff should be in place. Yeah, you know, I've had exactly those conversations with uh, accounting firm clients. And uh, unfortunately, I think until there is enforcement and it, it needs to squeeze one way or the other. So here's what I think is happening is I mm-hmm. think that there's an abundance of companies that are just flat out lying on their insurance applications. OK, there it is. I'm just going to say it. OK, potentially. Um, yeah. So the. The orgs need to feel the squeeze from some direction before they decide that they're actually going to prioritize that spending. So the squeeze is going to be either a prospect comes to them and says, 
I can't do business with you until, um, or it's a regulatory enforcement mm-hmm. like the IRS, for example, or the FTC could or potentially should be saying, uh, you know, you need to go through an audit once every three years. And um, and that that could be really no different than a, a tapizerum audit, right? Third party information security risk mm-hmm. management. It could be, you know, do you have your IRP? Is your IRP tested? Do you have an information security program? Do you have a BCDR plan? You know, are you doing cybersecurity awareness training? You know, I mean, blah, 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 right? All the stuff that we know. And see, the thing is, is when you have to produce that report that is, well, mm-hmm. you know, the the IRP is technically um, a confidential document, but you know what? We'll give you the table of contents of it, okay? Now you've at least got to make it look like you have an IRP. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's yeah. that next step. And what I've just seen across the board is no matter how much we educate clientele, they're mm-hmm. like, um, I don't want to spend money on an IRP. I don't want to spend money on an information security program. You know, I already spent $85,000 this year. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, you had to do these projects on your infrastructure and whatnot, but that's not proactive mm-hmm. risk. That That's not improving your cybersecurity posture enough. Okay. So I feel like until the customers of these businesses get more savvy and say, we need these assurances before we can do business with you. And then on the other side, Mm -hmm. there's some level of proof that the business needs to provide to either the insurance company is asking for it. um, Their vendors are asking for it, or maybe the FTC starts asking for it. Um, You know, I, I'm, I don't think the government does a good job of anything so I don't really want the government to be um, doing those things. I, I just don't see business moving mm-hmm. in this because there isn't enforcement. Note, I'm not calling for enforcement because <laughs> I don't think the government does yeah. anything well. <laughs> so, so I'll add, like, I think, I mean, you're correct, right? Like there are, you know, as a kid, I was a kid where my parents were like, don't touch the stove, it's hot. And I had to touch it twice and burn myself twice before I was like, okay, the stove is hot, stop touching. Um, you know, I think that, you know, from a liability perspective and as like a good person perspective, um, you know, moving morally through the world, like it is incumbent upon the MSP, like just keep, keep yeah. providing that education, right? Like right. keep right. doing it. Right. Eventually they're going to pull the trigger. Um, but we're going to see multitudes of pressures here, right? So what business owners have to realize, and this is a lot of what I present on at various webinars, et cetera, is that the walls are closing in, right? There are a myriad, a legion of laws that apply to their business in many circumstances. Like, they don't even know they exist. Uh, here's a great example. The breach notification law that applies, and by the way, there's a lot of data security standards in there and regulatory fines and penalties if you don't comply with it. Generally, the breach notification law that applies has nothing to do with where the business is located. It's where their clients are residents of. So if they're next to a military base, hey, 50 different laws. You know, and I've had 
I've had clients of mine, same thing, right? I'm like, hey, you fall under this specific statute. Like, you should start doing this. It's got like 17, 18 different controls, administrative, physical, technical uh, safeguards that have to be implemented. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, I told you, I put it in writing. I did my due diligence here. And right. then lo and behold, they get hit. Attorney General of the state of Massachusetts has now been working ever so kindly with them for the last like year and a half, two years. So, you know, the regulatory pressures coming in, the cyber insurance industry is tired of losing money, right? Now the MSPs are coming in for obvious reasons and saying like, hey, there's kind of like a, a minimum standard here you got to meet and we'll work from there. But, you know, it, it, and contractual I, stuff too. I, I think if if they're having budget problems, they're, they they need to just come up with a dollar amount every month that they're going to allocate towards Kaizen, Kaizen of, you know, whatever that has to do with information security. Maybe it's a policy this month. Maybe it's the IRP this month, whatever. But if they don't take this proactive approach of taking small bites out of the progress elephant at a time of their choosing, at a budget of their choosing, at an organizational change pace of their choosing, then they're going to be slammed against a wall and uh, they're going to lose total control over that thing. Well, it, um, and, for, and I'll just, I'll, I'll just say here, like I'll just add from the MSP perspective, you know, when you, when you have clients that just outright refuse fundamental controls, right? I have a whole video on my YouTube channel talking about uh, exculpatory agreements, liability waivers, that kind of thing. But when you have clients who just don't implement fundamental controls, right? Like if they're so cash strapped that they're like security awareness training is just, that's a, that's a no-go. It's a hard no, never going to happen. From the MSP liability perspective, the MSPs need to start thinking, okay, is this the right client for me? Mm -hmm. right? right? Are they saying, are they, are they actually saying between the lines I'm not going to pay for that because if something goes wrong, I'm just going to sue you right now. That's a really stupid, stupid idea on many fronts, primary of which is just the length of litigation and the amount of money they're going to be out in, in the long term, in the short term. Um, but MSPs really have to start thinking about this and doing client screening, right? If it's right. every year, halfway right. through the year, you know, just say like, hey, certain people, this is just not our they'll go be somebody else's problem, right? right? There's always going to be someone right. kicking the tires. Yeah. They can deal with that liability yeah. to be on us. Well, and that is why we uh, actually separated from a couple companies last year. <laughs> I mean, I fire um, people too. Yeah. So, well, so I want to say thank you for your time. I think this has been very invigorating. I'm so pleased that uh, I managed to squeak some totally original thoughts out of you that you have not disclosed publicly before. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> good times. And uh, do you want to send me a, a link to your book so that people could download your book and get in, get involved with that? Because uh, I did find your book rather uh, informative. Uh, it, it, it's um, it's lengthy, but it's worth it's worth a read. And I think it's a kind of yeoman's work that you have, you know, made it publicly available and i you know i appreciate that it's like you know you're trying to help everybody with their um really i think change their paradigm right if they don't 
you know, as we talked about earlier here, they've got to have the right decision-making process about these things and, uh, and information is the way to do it. And so I appreciate that you've made the book freely available. Uh, and I do appreciate your YouTube channel as well. It's good times. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And, you know, in my, my next book that's coming out, um, you know, it's going to be all about like insurance and cybersecurity law for MSPs. And so the, you know, the first half is the insurance side. The second half is like, Hey, here's all these statutes that you should understand and utilize, uh, you know, with your clients, et cetera. Uh, that'll be for free on MSP subreddit, uh, put it on tech tribe for free, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that'll be out there as well. Good times. That, that'll right, well, be another 500 something pages. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's not hard for you to crank out another 500 pages. <laughs> oh, I was not an English major. Ooh, it's rough. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Joe. All right. Thanks, Felicia.